Hello, and welcome back to the Calorie Deficit University podcast. My name is Alexis. I am the show's host. And if you're new here in the new year, welcome, welcome. Um, There are lots of previous episodes to listen to. So you are joining at a great time. We've just hit um, a year on having the podcast and we are about to hit um, over 100,000 downloads. So um, I'm hoping by the time that this episode posts, we are at 100,000 downloads. So I'm very thankful for all of you. Um, It just like is crazy, the overwhelming um, amount of you who are so positive and awesome and reach out and give so much encouragement. So I really appreciate it and I'm very, very thankful. And with that, today's episode is very interesting. Um, Answering the question or trying to answer the question, do hormones prevent you from losing weight? Very, very um, important topic to talk about. And I really want to start off the episode by saying, I want to speak on this topic with a lot of empathy, but also truth. Um, It's a very touchy topic. And you want to say why? Well, people take their weight, um, their body very seriously, very personally. Um, You know, it's there's this odd behavior that we people do um, where we attach our worth and our value to our weight. Um, especially people who really struggle with losing weight, really beat themselves up and get, um, get themselves down because they think that they're never going to achieve this weight loss that they're looking for. And that means that they're worthless, which is just not, not the case at all. And this is why as coaches, it's, it's our responsibility to have as much empathy and compassion, um, with every every person that we get the privilege to coach um, and really approach this topic with sensitivity, um, the sensitivity that it demands while also discussing the truth so that we can overcome our own setbacks because that is the reality of it all. We set ourselves back. Um, Generally, we are the one keeping us from achieving our goals. So weight loss and health are incredibly nuanced, which I've said every single episode. Um, and so I, I do, in addition to that, want to start off by saying that I am not a doctor. Um, I am not a hormone expert or anything of the sort. My niche is health and wellness, strength training, conditioning. That is where I am at. Um, but hormones, metabolic efficiency um, is a, all intertwined and a part of that. So it's something that I've had to educate myself on to properly serve my clients. So that is this perspective that I'm going to be talking from today. So this episode is serving as a general educational discussion to get that discussion started, right? Um, To get questions being asked um, and really just starting that conversation, helping to direct those behavior patterns when it comes to weight loss. Um, And really, this is the very top of the conversation. We're not going to conquer this conversation with an hour-long podcast. That's just dumb um, and stupid to think that we would, arrogant, We are not. So I'm sure it will continue to change as a topic 
as we learn more um, and research more about the human body as history has proven. But this is how it all stands today um, with the information that we have. So yeah, let's get to it. The first topic I want to talk about in a nuanced um, perspective with hormones and weight loss is human behavior. We've talked a lot about human behavior on the podcast before, so this shouldn't be new to you. The most common question I get from clients who are curious about hormone science and their weight loss happen to be around the PCOS conversation or metabolic imbalances. And the the main question I get is, does PCOS or hormones or metabolic imbalance cause weight gain? Um, Is that the root of my weight gain? To be honest, there is no simple answer when it comes to weight and health um, and these metabolic sciences, Um, but most of these hormonal conditions do not directly cause weight gain, but are a result of how the disease makes people feel and how they affect things like your hunger and energy expenditure which ultimately then would result in weight gain. But just because you have the condition doesn't make you gain weight automatically. It is widely confirmed that medical conditions affect our behavior. Um, You know, they can cause us to feel depressed, tired, sick, hungry, sad, low energy, and on and on and on all of which affect our calorie intake and energy expenditure through behavior adjustments, right? And and we'll talk about that later. Um, But increased calories, a calorie surplus, ultimately is what causes weight gain from a thermodynamic perspective. And that science cannot be undone. That is the truth. That is the baseline that we operate from. So it's best to look at your medical condition with the treatment from your doctor as well as behavioral adjustments with that treatment. So this can be seen every day, commonly through obesity treatment procedures, like a gastric bypass. You don't get to have that procedure and just move on with your life. Traditionally, you have to prove that you can have behavior modification to even get to that point of losing weight. So you have to start off by making those behavior changes, lose some weight, change your eating, change your um, energy expenditure, exercise routine before the surgery, before you're even approved. And then that is what allows you to get the surgery, to get those medications, to help you continue that weight loss journey and be a tool and an aid um, to continue that. And often after that procedure, it takes even more extreme changes in your eating and exercise behavior to see those continued results. And that's just, that's the facts. It's not just the weight loss surgery that causes weight loss. Um, you know, not the reduction of a stomach that's, you're not just going to lose weight alone from that. All of those calories that that energy expenditure has to go somewhere and has to happen. So let's get real with ourselves. The reality is the human race does not want to address our own behavior. Um, we've, we've known this for centuries. We don't want to change. We don't want to, um, take responsibility for our actions. You know, we are stupid and we pollute the world that we live in. Um, we treat everything around us like it's something to be consumed. We have some 
big issues when it comes to overconsumption and greed. Um, And this doesn't just stop at money or entertainment, but it is deeply perpetuated through highly palatable, over-marketed food. We're addicted to this consumption cycle. So we live an excessively sedentary life with highly palatable food available at our very whim and then treat ourselves like assholes and wonder, hmm, why do I feel like crap and why am I 30 pounds overweight? So with these two behaviors and environmental conditions combined, it's it's a recipe for disaster in wanting weight loss success. So, you know, if you add it on top of that, a life-altering medical condition like PCOS, it can feel pretty fucking hopeless. So this episode isn't meant to make you feel hopeless, but the exact opposite. We want you to take control of your life, take control of your own behavior, take responsibility for yourself, your actions, and have hope that when you do that, it will make your medical condition better. So let us get to it. I think a great place to start is understanding obesity um, from a very, very high level perspective. And the fact is that as it stands today, obesity is a disease. Technically, yes, it is classified as a disease. And moreover, more technically, obesity is a um, a neurobehavioral disease. So individuals, you know, um, with obesity experience impaired metabolic pathways with disordered signaling for hunger and uh, satiety and fullness. And so what that means is that because of the obesity, they have an impaired metabolic response. And generally, people who struggle with overeating have disordered um, irregular signaling for when they're hungry. So maybe they experience hunger at a much different level than the average day-to-day person, which would make them want to eat more than they actually need. And it might make them feel like they need to eat more than they really need to be able to function and be alive. So while there are many causes of obesity, often the symptoms are what cause an individual to perpetuate being overweight through increased calories, so a calorie surplus, and lower daily activity. So this is where the behavioral portion comes into play. And ironically, the behaviors that cause the disease are those that need to be reversed and acted on oppositely to achieve weight loss. So we're going to talk about two of some of my favorite studies to date that shine a significant amount of light on the topic of weight loss as a whole. So I hope that you find this to be very, very interesting. So there once was a man named Angus uh, Barbieri, and he did not eat a single food particle for 382 days. I'm going to say that again. He did not eat anything for 382 days. And he lived, he lived on tea, coffee, soda water, electrolytes, essential amino acids, um, and vitamins, all under medical evaluation at his local hospital, Maryfield Hospital. He was a very determined man, and he wanted to uh, prove that you could, he could go the longest in the world without eating, but also um, he wanted to prove 
some of the recent studies that were coming out trying to like disprove fasting. And he was like, hmm, that's interesting to me. I'm going to prove that fasting works, which we'll talk about too as well at, at the end of this. Um, but he lost a total of 276 pounds with a starting weight of 456 pounds. So he stopped um, this fast, quote unquote, at uh, once he reached 180 pounds. And he was continuously studied even after that. So what can we learn from this? The reality is our body doesn't just store fat for funsies, for shits and giggles. Um, it is not going into a fat storing mode because we aren't eating. Um, that is just a wildly misguided misconception. We cannot outsmart the laws of thermodynamics. The energy we consume has to be expended or it will be stored. Okay, if you overconsume, it's going to be stored. All of Angus's stored energy in his body as body fat was used when he stopped consuming energy, and that's what kept him alive. Anytime we've witnessed starvation in history as due to a lack of food, energy, we have never seen a starving fat person dead from a lack of food. I know that's a very, very fucking harsh uh, sentiment to lay out, but that is what I need you to accept um, and to stop enabling the neural behavior that you're subjectifying yourself to. So it's just the law of thermodynamics. We cannot outsmart it, um, overcome it. It just is. So um, this has just been proven through... Angus, right? He survived because of the excess body fat that he had. He already had the necessary energy expenditure at his disposal. So being obese or overweight is not final. It can be changed and reversed through behavior modification and the right nutrition protocol. But I will say with the new ones from Angus is that fasting is not the answer and can perpetuate a binge eating behavior pattern and keep you in a starving and binging cycle. So I do want to give a caution to that. Um, and what they concluded as they continued to study Angus is that he had a lot of health issues because of his prolonged obesity. Um, and he actually died um, at a pretty young age in his 50s from heart condition and fatty liver disease and a bunch of obesity-related conditions. Um, so it was unfortunately too late for him when he reversed his obesity. He had already damaged his body so much from the years and years of being morbidly obese. But what they clinically decided is that extended starvation therapy must be used cautiously um, and that no one's out here like recommending what Angus did but that they learned a lot about the human body and the laws of thermodynamic thermodynamics when it comes to our own metabolism and that 
even with not eating for such a long period of time, he did not ruin his metabolism. He did not die. He um, did not starve to death. And he certainly did not store excess body fat from the tea and coffee and electrolytes that he was drinking. Um, His body did not hold on to every last bit of fat. It released it when it needed the energy. Um, So the second study that I want to talk about is a tracking calorie study. And before I talk about that, just a break in the studies is this isn't meant to to be harping on um, anyone who has a hormonal imbalance or has uh, a medical condition like PCOS that affects hormones. We're going to continue talking about that. Um, But this is to establish the baseline of human behavior and understand behavior sciences as it stands, um, because that is what plays a part into the reaction our bodies have and our brains have um, and our behavior has to our medical conditions. Um, and we are the orator of our behavior. We are the ones who get to decide the responses, but these studies help to enlighten human behavior so that we can better understand ourselves. At the end of the day, that's the only way we're going to change, um, and become better people is by being educated. So there are a few studies out there about monitoring people while they're tracking calories and what the results are. Um, but I just want to talk about two particular ones. In one study, they tracked um, energy expenditure in the same treadmill workout of normal weight and overweight individuals. So uh, just starting the premise, they made people work out on a treadmill for the same amount of time, same speed, same distance, all the same shit um, for people who fell in a normal weight category and um, the other group fell in an overweight category. And they asked them to create a meal that they believed to be calorically equivalent to the exercise that they had just done. So that the energy that they had just expended. And then they also asked them how many calories they thought that they expended in the exercise. So the challenge is very interesting. They don't tell you the calories that are in the food. They just say, create a meal that you think would be the amount of calories that you'd eat back from the exercise that you just did on the treadmill. And then how many calories do you think you'd burned on the treadmill? And so just a guess, right? With with the information that they had, with the baseline of one person is a normal uh, body weight and the other person is an overweight uh, body weight. Very interesting results. The overweight individuals overestimated their energy expenditure by 72%. So they thought that they worked out, they burned more calories by 72%. That's insane. That's almost double. And then they overestimated the calories in their food by 37%. So what that means is that they thought they burned more calories than they actually did. And then they thought there were more calories in their food than there actually was. So bizarre. So what does that mean? 
Ultimately, it means we are really bad at figuring out how much we actually burn. And then we are also really bad at knowing what calories are in our food and how much we're actually eating. And a lot of people will do that. They will either incredibly dramatically overestimate the amount of food that they're eating or dramatically underestimate the food that they're eating. I will link the study um, in the podcast episode, of course. But basically, the study concluded that adults on average overestimate exercise energy expenditure by 300 to 400 percent so they thought that they burned more calories than they actually did by a significant amount and then they underestimated their intake by 200 to 300 percent so they think that they are burning more calories than they actually are and that they are eating less than they actually are so again we think that we work out and then we burn a fuck ton of calories and we don't and then we overconsume because we think we are eating less than we actually are. Very enlightening human behavior. The next study um, and that is about tracking calories tracked um, and monitored participants over a 12-month period, um, and they just were assigned to track their calorie intake. That was the only instruction they were given. For 12 months, track how much you eat in calories. Very interesting results. The rare trackers, so people who only tracked 33% of the days, um, fell in that category. And then there were inconsistent trackers that fell in like the middle. So they would track 33 to 66% of the days. And then there were consistent trackers that tracked over 66% of the days out of the 12 months. Only the consistent trackers had significant weight loss while the other two groups significantly dropped off with their tracking around periods like the holidays and summertime. So basically what the study concluded is that the people who were consistently aware of the food that they were intaking and measuring and weighing out the food that they were eating for more than 66% of the days over the year ended up losing a significant amount of weight where the other groups didn't at all. And, and the conclusion there is it's just purely knowledge, knowing what you're eating and being aware of it. So this is why understanding food science is really important. We need to track out your food to be able to understand what you're actually eating, like, and everything that's in oils and butters and all of it, because it all adds up. And that is the easiest way to understand that you are overeating and ultimately leading to being overweight. And, And it's a stark, harsh reality once you realize, wow, there are so many calories in the food choices that I'm making. But then there is hope when you understand and realize there are lower calorie food options out there and all of the whole foods that come from the earth happen to be really high volume, delicious, nutritious, and low calorie. It's almost like, wow, the earth wants to take care of the humans that are on it by providing sustenance that it actually needs to survive. And that is hopeful. So behavior conclusion. Now that we've chatted through a few studies, the largest conclusion that can be made is that human behavior and lack of knowledge are the causes um, baseline of overweight individuals, which is like, wow, Bob Alexis, that's so boring. Yeah, I know. I know it's fucking boring. That's why we're talking about it. (laughs) Trying to make it less boring. Um, So now talking specifically about hormonal sciences, PCOS, etc. So 
this is where my knowledge starts to be like the least because I'm not a hormone uh, doctor. Um, so we'll talk about it from a generic perspective um, with one of the studies, again, that I'll, I'll link. So PCOS is a genetic condition that affects obesity and is also exacerbated by obesity, which is just so fucked. So like you're genetically born with PCOS. You can't control whether or not that you get it, which PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and then that affects all of that, the, the behavior side effects of that and the hormonal, like, or sorry, the hunger effects of PCOS makes you more inclined to be obese. And then when you're obese, it makes your condition much worse. So it's like, fuck me. Like I can't win. The largest hindrances for individuals with PCOS when it comes to weight loss is how it affects bum, ba, da, ba, their energy expenditure, bum, ba, da, ba, mental health, bum, ba, da, ba, and physical activity. So it's a metabolic disorder, but when we say metabolic disorder, that's not meaning that the actual metabolism is failing, um, the, the way that you process food in the sense of thermodynamics. So when people who have PCOS say, well, I have PCOS. So when I eat my body stores, those calories, no, that's not it. It's a metabolic disorder that affects your energy expenditure and how you move. Like you don't want to move. You don't want to, uh, get around. And when you do move, your body has an adverse reaction to that. For example, when you do high intensity cardio, your body has an adverse reaction to that because it's a metabolic stressor versus doing steady state cardio. Your body has a much better response to, and this is where it's so, so nuanced and having a doctor who can understand both sides of the lines is really, really important. So this metabolic disorder is associated with insulin resistance, and that can also be dramatically amplified when you're, when you are obese. So it's, it's horrible. It's not doing you any good by having it. And then when you're obese, you're not helping yourself with your condition either. It's, it's such an awful condition. And this is where I'm saying we have to have empathy, have compassion because it is not to be trifled with. It is not. So because of this metabolic disorder and insulin resistance, it is considered an obesity related condition. So weight gain and obesity continues to contribute to the development of PCOS over time. So unfortunately, because of that, obesity worsens the symptoms of PCOS, making it even harder to lose the weight. And it just perpetuates the cycle around and around and around. Um, and so PCOS being a hormonal and metabolic condition, um, is the result of the weight gain generally because of the effects that have been intensified, like hunger, low energy, depression, that's where we have to understand, okay, behavior. Now my reaction to this is I need to understand my hunger. I need to understand my condition, that it makes me depressed. It affects my mental health. And then I don't want to eat what I need to eat. I don't want to work out. I don't want to take care of myself and on and on and on, which I think is something that we can all relate to. So when it comes to hunger effects and things like that, there are weight loss medications that can be helpful for those um, to aid in their weight loss. Because I will say, I think one of the biggest identifiers I see when working with clients is 
The people who have an okay baseline and they just want to lose a couple of pounds or maybe 20 pounds and below, they don't really struggle with hunger. Hunger is not something that controls their waking waking days. Um, but the people who have a significant amount of weight, um, you know, they're in the obesity category. I have just observed time and time again, an extreme hunger pattern of behavior, um, and that their hunger is much more intensified, um, than the others. I will say, I think that primarily comes from the food choices that are made. Um, most people who struggle with being overweight, uh, choose food that is low in dietary fiber and protein, um, which can cause a lot of hunger and satiety issues. Um, but that behavior, wanting to reach for those types of foods is learned over time um, and needs to be supported and helped. So this is where if you do struggle with extreme hunger, um, these weight loss medications that a lot of them are appetite suppressants can be very helpful, right? Um, but at the same time, no matter what the medication is, you're still going to have to make the proper adjustments in diet and exercise to achieve your weight loss goals. That's, that's just it. That the, there's no escaping it, no getting uh, away from it. Right. Um, so, you know, there's no shame in going on these medications or getting a gastric sleeve or whatever you um, need to do as as a tool uh, to help you lose weight. But you have to understand and accept that you are going to have to make diet modifications and exercise more. Um, and a lot of that comes from, like I've said before, addressing our own behavior, which none of us want to do. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the science of a calorie deficit. And I think this is really important to understand um, when you're coming from a place of wanting to understand your hormones. The law of thermodynamics is what governs our energy expenditure. So one food calorie is equal to one kcal, which is very like how they've figured it out scientifically is that is the amount of energy needed to raise one kilogram um, of water from 15 to 16 degrees Celsius. So this falls within the first law of thermodynamics that states that energy can neither uh, be created nor destroyed, but only transformed. And for all my fusion energy freaks out there. I know, I know that that has been dispelled for fusion energy. Yes. Yay. Um, but for us as human beings, we are not fusion reactors. So we still, um, are subject to the first law of thermodynamics, but this is how the body works, um, to exist and ultimately store body fat as energy. Um, so now does this mean that all calories are created equal? Um, huh, hard to answer. Not really hard to answer. Hard to answer in two seconds. Um, not really, uh, as this would violate the second law of thermodynamics. So, um, which is there's a variation of efficiency for different metabolic pathways, um, as this is to be expected. So no, Calories are not just calories. Um, for example, protein. It takes much more energy to break down calories from protein due, the, due to its uh, particular molecular structure. So this is why calories in versus calories out um, 
is the start of the conversation, but really in addition to calorie optimization as the key to overcoming and crushing a calorie deficit for fat loss, um, that we need both. We need to have the optimization of what we eat in addition to monitoring our calories. Um, so summary, summary, uh, we like a breeze through that. Well, me, not we, me. Um, utilizing any method for weight loss is going to be really fucking hard. Uh, any change when it comes to behavior modification is very, very challenging. Um, it's going to be hard to change your eating habits. Um, that that's why weight loss is hard. Um, it's to be expected, but there are always ways to make it easier, to make it more sustainable, more enjoyable. So do not give up hope. You know, if you have a hormonal condition, um, it's not hopeless. There is hope. And I will tell you and promise you that prioritizing your health, moving more, strength training, um, walking more, getting outside in the sun, eating lean, uh, protein, vegetables, fiber, all of those things will make you feel better and help you with your medical condition. So you need to learn your body, understand your metabolism, become aware of your hunger, um, and you will find your specific path to succeed. Um, and I think for the rest of the fitness community, we need to understand that being over overweight or being obese, having a hormonal condition all of which are very, very complex and need very genuine, specific empathy and compassion. Um, And the best place to start is by getting a good baseline. So sleep, um, you know, no anxiety, addressing your mental health, moving more, eating whole foods, lean protein, drinking water, um, you know, getting that that healthy baseline, um, to addressing those conditions is really where you're going to see long, long long-term health and success. And I think when we start to understand that everybody's baseline looks really different, we've all had been, we've all been dealt different genetic cards. Um, we've all been dealt different upbringings and behavioral lifestyles. That is where the real conversation for change starts to happen when we can have real empathy for one another, encourage one another, not gatekeep, um, you know, access to the health community and really give people real answers for the problems that they have, give them solutions that they need and are looking for. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode um, and thanks for tuning in. And if you are looking for a coach, I am taking applications. Um, I'm probably going to end up having to close them soon. So please um, go on my Instagram and fill out an intake form. I'll also link the intake form for coaching on the episode as well. Just fill that out and I will reach out to you and we will have a consultation And, um, the next episode is going to be about how to make your own meal plan. Ooh, giving all the secrets away. Um, again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.